You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Should we give a trigger warning? The whole thing needs a trigger warning. Are you kidding me? Yeah, all right. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And we've missed you, privates. Yes, it's a new year. It is a new all of us. And I have forgotten how to talk. And it's really nice (laughs) to be talking to you, folks, and to the privates. Yeah, well, we, so I did a little two-parter on my own during your trip, and I missed podcasting with you, and I'm sure all the privates missed you as well. I missed you. So we are back with a big topic. We're going big in 2022. We've been working on a very, very special episode for the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which is this Saturday, January 22nd. Roe v. Wade, the decision was passed down in 1973. Landmark fucking decision. I have taken advantage of the rights afforded to me by this case. And millions of other people have as well. And so... I have aided and abetted. I have paid for abortions. People need abortion in their lives. It's like a very necessary procedure. And a lot of times it's healthcare and... I just think sometimes people don't think about the nuance of it, but (laughs) abortion rights are being threatened right now. So you do have to keep an eye on abortion because... You do, because I think we get really complacent, especially when you like live in a place that is America and you're like, oh my God, Roe v. Wade, that passed forever ago. I think that's the temptation. And then there's a whole state being like, you know what? Actually, we'll give you 10K if you narc on... Someone who is getting an abortion, just trying to move on with their life. Or someone who even drove them to get an abortion. So crazy. The Texas thing really shook me up. The Texas abortion ban that is still inconceivably still in place. The Supreme Court's like, I don't know. Should we just dismantle all of Roe v. Wade? Sounds fun. That's actually, (laughs) that was my resolution for 2022. Let's take it down. (laughs) So we thought that this was a very important anniversary to highlight and honor and defend, honestly. Uh, Yeah. And also, I think it's important to keep an eye on it because it feels like the world has so many problems and it's Mm -hmm. like hard to focus. You're like, oh, which natural disaster slash civil civil rights front (laughs) should I make time for slash civil war legit yeah no there's a lot going on climate change asteroids I've been seeing you know on google uh trends now on the front page they show you like the searches that are trending and the last like six days it's been NASA asteroid earth (laughs) and I'm like what the fuck is going on I think people got scared because there there was that tsunami and they were like, oh, shit, what else is coming down the pipe? <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of shit that's been going on in the world lately. So if abortion was not in your top five, I get it. But <laughs> we're going to help you with that today because we are bringing you our very special 
abortion monologues Roe v. Wade special. This was inspired by an amicus brief that was sent to us because we have reported on this topic before. Basically, 6,000 people urged the Supreme Court to protect Roe v. Wade this last year by sharing their own abortion stories. And my God, have (laughs) people, especially women, been forced to just bare their souls every time this topic comes up. But, you know, it is important to share these stories. Not just women, anyone that can get pregnant. Anyone that can get pregnant. And what's so interesting about these stories is that they really highlight the varied and nuanced nature of why people decide to get abortions. And there are a lot of factors at play. And I think sometimes it just gets boiled down to, well, you can always control it. And, you know, well, you shouldn't be having sex if you can't deal with the consequences, which is really funny that women... Typically, women just have to deal with the consequences. <laughs> and not just that, but uh, saying that you're responsible if you didn't know you were pregnant for a while or that you're responsible because uh, you didn't try to get the right kind of abortion at the right time. And so you're shit out of luck with that. Just a lot of blame and a lot of focus on non-accurate pictures of fetuses that people parade outside of abortion clinics. Yeah. So these stories came from... Uh, amicus brief filed by We Testify. And it really, I think, illustrates these myriad reasons and situations that people are in when they are faced with this decision. The stories we're going to share with you guys today include stories where people have gotten abortions to protect their physical, mental, and emotional health due to birth control failures, economics insecurity, sexual assault, immigration status, to avoid being separated from a child, to escape abusive relationships, to continue their educations or fully participate in their careers, and to control their ability whether and when to have a child based on their current family size and needs. And just to have bodily autonomy, like I can totally relate to that, especially as someone who has struggled with eating disorder stuff. Sometimes it's just like, hey, I have the headspace to just have one person in my body right now. And barely that. That's what people who want abortions are trying to tell you. I can't do this. And it is definitely a form of rape to force people to carry a pregnancy to term against their will. And we really need to be cognizant about that when we talk about what messing with Roe v. Wade means. I think when abortion becomes a wedge issue for politicians to Mm -hmm. just use as a distraction um, so that we don't address other things and just get more and more divided by using like very, very uh, specifically divisive language. It is, unfortunately, abortion is a political issue, like you mentioned. And I think when you approach it from like, well, would I do this? Or does my religion allow for this? Or whatever the case is, you're dismissing, like, maybe it's not about you. You know, you don't have to get one. (laughs) You don't have to have an abortion. But I firmly believe that it's important to allow people to make that decision for themselves. I agree. And you get to feel however you want about your own abortion. Yes. And other people do not get to feel some type of way about other people's abortions. And it is Hugely unfortunate that those rights are being rolled back now. I mean, it's 2022. 
<laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So the earliest documented abortion is from 1500 BC. So this has been happening probably since the beginning of time if the situations were not ideal. So let's get into these stories. So you're about to hear 26 monologues that are real stories from the people that contributed to this amicus brief. And they're real stories from real people, but they will be performed by friends who are comedians, activists, actors, and they may not had abortions. They may have had abortions. Some of their circumstances or demographics might be similar to the people they're voicing, or they might not be. It's important for us to know that abortion is something that every single person has to care about. So first, we're gonna hear from Americans that have been impregnated against their will and have relied on the availability of abortion to ensure their bodily integrity. And this story is one of Megan Petruska, and it is being performed by comedian and actor Valerie Tossi. I was sexually assaulted after a night of drinking. I came back to the U.S. pregnant with no money in my bank account from spending my savings on a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to study in a foreign country and a tremendous determination not to raise a child by myself my senior year of college. I was able to get an appointment soon enough to still get a medication abortion, meaning I could take the pills from my own apartment with a friend at my side to keep me company through the cramps. So I actually had a medical abortion. And interestingly, I would probably get a surgical abortion if I had to do it again. But at the time, I thought that it would be less intense and maybe it was emotionally. But access to medical abortion is so important right now, especially as specific states are clamping down, the FDA has actually loosened restrictions on medication abortion. Yeah, basically since December 18th, 2021, FDA has removed the requirement that medication abortion must be dispensed in person at clinics. And it added a requirement that pharmacies that dispense the drug be specially certified. So it's kind of a half-half win. The great thing is that medication abortion is more available, but now pharmacies have to be specially certified for some reason to carry something they've already been carrying. Yeah, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity here. You can order pills at aidaccess.org, which we're going to put in the show notes, and they'll even give you an online consultation, and there's opportunities for financial aid. So abortion by mail can actually significantly reduce the harm done by anti-choice legislation, but only if people know that the option exists. So that's why we want to highlight that. Yeah, and it is about $100 to acquire the abortion pills. And if you do not have the money, they will try to help you with financial aid at aidaccess.org. So check it out. Just, you know, be aware. Acquiring and using pills may carry legal risk, especially for marginalized people. But obviously... It's an important thing to have access to. So another story kind of in this same vein, not a medication abortion, but a story about bodily autonomy definitely comes from Kazembe Jackson, and it's voiced by comedian Kai Choice. I was a junior in college. It was a week before finals, and I was walking home from the library at probably like one o'clock in the morning. 
And these guys were riding by in a truck and saying that one of their friends had just gotten out of jail and was looking for a good time. I always have been a transmasculine person, so I was dressed in boy clothes. The conversation ended up being like, we need to show you how to be a real woman. I, uh, I got raped by four men and kind of left there outside. I found out I was pregnant. I was on financial aid and basically already hustling to graduate. I did not want to be pregnant. I did not want to have a kid. I was very suicidal and depressed. I stopped school for a little bit and went home. There was a Planned Parenthood around the corner from where I grew up, and I, I just went there. When I told them the story of what had happened, they set me up with a rape crisis center. My abortion cost $300. I was a struggling college student. I, I ended up having to take out a payday loan, which cost way more than the $300. Took way longer to pay back. A lot of times we say that women are the only people that have to deal with abortion access. And, you know, obviously it's come to the forefront more and more in recent years. But people, anyone with a uterus can get pregnant. So, you know, definitely is a trans issue and just a human issue as well. It's also a health issue, right? Sometimes it just comes down to physical health. And people have long relied on the right to abortion when medical intervention is necessary to protect a parent's health or life. Now we're going to hear from genetic counselor Dina Goldberg, who is voicing the story of Tara Schleifer, who chose abortion to avoid leaving her three-year-old son motherless. After facing a nine-year, grueling, exhausting, expensive, repeating cycle of hope and devastation due to unexplained infertility, I found myself pregnant the old-fashioned way. What an exciting surprise. My son, who was three at the time, would finally have a much-loved sibling. My dream of a family was finally coming true. But my dream turned into an absolute worst nightmare. I learned how much the pregnancy itself was endangering my life, Leaving my son motherless and my husband a grieving widow and single dad was not an option I was willing to entertain. I felt strongly that my obligations to the people already living and breathing trumped the rights of a very ill fetus. I know intimately the continuous grief that accompanies intellectual impairments and chronic illnesses from caring for my mother. That grief ripples through families and generations. I could not continue the cycle in good conscience. As someone that has myself gone through a lot of fertility stuff, I cannot imagine the decision that Tara must have had to go through. Yeah, I also think that it's popular for people who vilify abortion to portray people who have them as not parents or as bad parents. Uh-huh. And I think this story is really important because what she did isn't the ultimate symbol of love. Exactly. She did it so that she could be a better mother. And up next, we have another similar story of abortion as healthcare. This monologue is voiced by comedian Jasmine Ellis, and she is telling the story of Pamela Noblet, who terminated her pregnancy to ensure her survival. In 1971, a year before Roe v. Wade, I was a 22-year-old married nursing student in Denton, Texas. I contracted tuberculosis and was placed on a regimen of multiple medications in an effort to control the disease. While on a new experimental medication, I learned I was pregnant. The physicians explained that, one, they did not think I could survive a full-term pregnancy at that time, 
And two, there was a better than 50% chance that the baby would suffer severe and likely fatal birth defects subsequent to taking the medications I had been taking. Of course, we regret that the procedure was necessary. We wish he had had other options, but the science simply not advanced enough at the time. We believe we made the right choice for us, and we believe that every woman should have that choice to make. In the Pamela Noblet story that you just heard, she was actually a Texas resident in 1971, which was pre-Roe v. Wade. And it really goes to show how when access is restricted and you have a physical ailment, it can really put your life on the line. Yes, and we do not frequently make the connection or talk about enough how if you restrict abortion in one state, like the recent restrictions in Texas, it actually affects nearby states, not to mention, obviously, the people living in both places. Yeah, if you want to read more about this, there's a really interesting New Yorker article called Inside an Oklahoma City Abortion Clinic. And it talks about how the staff is struggling to meet the needs of Texas patients in addition to their own because there's such a big influx of people coming in trying to get abortions in Oklahoma. And also the women are working really insane hours and still having to turn people away because people will drive hours away from another state to make their appointment, frequently arrange for childcare or get a ride. And then if they're not able to be seen that night, they will simply turn around and go back home. Yeah, it's really like not ideal circumstances. It's basically like you have to go through an obstacle course to get an abortion, which is already hard enough, just even if it's in your own city, so. Yeah, and as Courtney mentioned when she was saying, you know, if she had to get another abortion, she would choose a different kind of abortion this time, a DNC and not a medical. Well, you don't get to make that choice if you're past a certain date Mm -hmm. of your pregnancy, but it can take way longer than that to arrange your appointment because all of these places are incredibly understaffed and having to serve way too many people. Yeah, we're actually going to hear monologues that illustrate exactly the obstacle course of trying to get an abortion when access is restricted coming up. But first, you know, we've been talking about abortion as it pertains to physical health, but it is just as important as it pertains to your mental and emotional health. Yeah, and I know we've been taught to ignore mental health as less important, (laughs) but that is in fact not the case. And Americans have relied on the right to choose abortion in order to protect and preserve their own mental and emotional health. As you will see in our next monologue, which is performed by Stacey Garrett, an incredible writer and friend. This monologue is the story of Sal Alves, who was not healthy mentally or physically when she found out that she was pregnant. I was 24 years old in June 2010 when I discovered I was six weeks pregnant. Just six months prior, I was hospitalized for suicidal ideation and a substance abuse problem. At six weeks along, I was still grappling with my mental illness and sobriety. I knew undoubtedly that I wanted an abortion because growing my family at this time would have been detrimental to my mental and emotional health. I made the choice to actively save my life post-hospitalization, and having an abortion allowed me to do exactly this. 
as someone that is bipolar who was diagnosed in my late teens, early 20s, I cannot imagine having to take care of a child or be forced to give birth to one when going through something like that. Oh my God, yeah. So I really identify with Sal's story. Totally. And I actually identify with this upcoming story. You know, I mentioned at the beginning when we first started the bodily autonomy as it relates to having an eating disorder, and that kind of ties in with this whole mental, physical, emotional health category as well. And the story that we have coming up is the story of Jen Shalifo. And she had to recently take a leave from school due to an eating disorder when she became pregnant. And then she quickly became suicidal. And this monologue is performed by my dear friend, Molly Karish. She's one of my besties from college. And she's actually a mother, but reproductive rights has been such an important thing for her. And she's actually gone to the Texas state legislature and just been a really active advocate for abortion in Texas. And I thought she voiced this so beautifully. I am a law student at the University of Colorado Law. When I was 16, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder that followed me to college. I went on medical leave in September of 2010 and sought treatment from my hometown on Long Island. Although I fought for recovery and showed progress, my menstrual cycle did not return. After weeks of treatment, I decided to rule out other explanations for my missing cycle. I purchased a pregnancy test and took it in my best friend's bathroom. It came back positive, even though I had been using the NuvaRing birth control method for more than a year. Immediately, I knew I wanted an abortion. I got an ultrasound as soon as I could. My gynecologist was shocked when I explained what had happened. She hadn't seen this coming either. Even with her help, I couldn't get an appointment with an abortion provider for two weeks. The procedure that I needed involved two consecutive days of pre-surgical preparation, for which I had to travel into Manhattan. On the first day after I received another ultrasound, I was yet again informed that my pregnancy was farther along than we had realized. My appointment was pushed back another week. If it were any later, I was told, I would have to travel out of the state. That week was the worst week of my life. I was trapped in my pregnant body, which was changing against my will more and more with each passing day, desperate to end my pregnancy and powerless against time. I stopped sleeping and became suicidal. I finally got an abortion several days after my 19th birthday. The procedure took less than an hour. I have no doubt that ending my pregnancy was the right decision. If I had been forced to carry my pregnancy to term, I believe that I would have ended my life rather than give birth. Instead of doing either, I have gotten to graduate from college, recover fully from my eating disorder, and fall in love with someone with whom I intend to start a family. The intending piece of it is so important because I feel like when you can plan to start a family, you are going to be a such better parent. It's like night and day. 100%. And uh, I think the next bunch of uh, monologues are important because, 
Americans have relied on abortion availability to order their lives when contraception fails. And as we know, that can happen for a variety of reasons. It happened to me. Many of which I have to say, as I mentioned earlier, I did not know until reading the amicus brief. Yeah, sometimes it can be the morning after pill doesn't work. Sometimes it's your regular birth control doesn't work. Sometimes you've literally done all the things (laughs) and still you get pregnant. Like birth control is not perfect. Yeah, that's. Exactly right. And neither are people. Right. (laughs) And when it fails, uh, we need to make sure that people can define themselves as individuals who have control over their reproductive decisions. And this next monologue is one such example. It is Laida Salazar's story, and it is performed by comedian and writer Maria Alexander, who is, like me, an immigrant. And this story is extra close. I am an undocumented immigrant and I'm currently here under DACA. In 2012, I started a status adjustment process with my then husband and waited months for a response from immigration. In early 2013, I received a letter with a deportation date. The following day, I had a well-woman appointment at my local Planned Parenthood. I was sitting on the examination table waiting for the doctor when the nurse came in to let me know that they would be unable to perform my exam because I was pregnant. I did not believe it. I asked the nurse to check again. The nurse said, we know you're in birth control. We ran the test three times. You're pregnant. The minute she closed the door, I broke down sobbing. Suddenly the deportation letter became real. And in five minutes, which felt eternal, I had to think about what I wanted for my life, what I wanted for my future, and what I wanted my family to look like. And what I knew was that I did not want to have a child under that degree of uncertainty. What I knew is that I did not want to have a child under the pending threat of deportation. And what I knew is that I did not have the capacity to fight a deportation case and be pregnant. When the nurse came back, I made my appointment. Two days later, I had an abortion. My abortion was routine and completely uneventful, as all abortions should be. Life is complicated enough. Accessing basic health care should not have to be complicated. And just like oral contraception can fail, condoms can break too. And that's what happened to Miriam Janani Flores, who faced a similarly unplanned pregnancy as a result of a broken condom. This monologue is performed by podcaster and producer Jasmine Romero. I was fortunate to attend Harvard for college, where I majored in neurobiology, but my passion lay in ensuring that others had the same opportunities as me. So after college, I left for rural Kenya, where I worked on health and education programs for a couple years. I was dating a guy who had also come to Kenya to do the same, and the condom broke. I took a morning after pill the next morning, and it ended up not working. I called Planned Parenthood back in the U.S. when I could, late at night in Kenya in my bedroom, hoping that others wouldn't hear me. I tried to get as much information as possible, tried to understand my options, and scheduled an appointment. I flew back to the United States on my pre-scheduled departure day from Kenya. It was a long, crushing flight. But I was able to take a flight and get away from a place that restricted my rights, leave Kenya where abortion was illegal. I'm one of the lucky ones. She was one of the lucky ones, but you shouldn't have to be lucky enough to get on an international flight to have abortion access. Amen. 
this next story is also incredibly powerful, namely because I did not know that medically prescribed antibiotics can interfere with the effectiveness of your oral contraception. So if you're listening to this and you're also going, what? Yeah, Mm -hmm. let's pass that on. This is the story of then law student Brittany Fowler as performed by comedian Katrina Davis. I had an abortion in Austin, Texas in November, 2017. At the time, I was a third year law student dating another third year law student in a monogamous relationship. I took oral contraception to prevent pregnancy, but as a result of an antibiotic I took for an unrelated infection, my oral contraception failed. My doctor didn't warn me that the antibiotic might interfere with my birth control, and it didn't occur to me that it might be a consequence. I found out I was pregnant at around eight weeks. Choosing to terminate the pregnancy wasn't difficult. I wasn't ready to be a parent and my projected due date was when I'd planned to take the bar exam. Plus, I had committed to a clerkship and a cross-country move after graduation. It was the right choice for me. So you just heard the story of Brittany Fowler, and she is a Texas resident, so we thought we would give a little bit of an update on the Texas abortion ban. And spoiler alert, The situation is grim. So the case has been moving along at a snail's pace since SCOTUS dismissed most of the case in December, and they sent what was left back to the Fifth Circuit. The narrow portion of the case that remains will not be able to block the bounty hunting aspect of the law. It would only be able to prevent medical licensing board officials from revoking doctors' licenses who violate the ban. And if you're not sure what the bounty hunting aspect of the law means, it's where you get a $10,000 reward for turning in anyone that... Anyone. Anyone. (laughs) Is at all associated with helping someone get abortion, even if they just give a ride or if they are the person who needs the abortion. You could be technically the person who got that person pregnant and still be turning them in. It's fucked. It's so fucked. And what's even more fucked is that most Texans have been without abortion access for over four months now. Four months and counting. Really like five at this point. To give you a little bit of um, context, In 2017, 55,440 abortions were performed in Texas. And then in September of 2021, the abortion rate there dropped by half. Those who couldn't make it out of Texas to a clinic basically will either turn to self-managed abortions with groups that we mentioned before, like aid access, or uh, more dangerous methods alone. Or after three months and counting of being deprived of their constitutional right to abortion, they will be forced by their state government to create another person against their will. Cool, right? And then there's another report out from the Center of Reproductive Rights that recaps the state abortion laws passed in 2021. And it shows the largest wave of bans and restrictions since Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. 
This is what happened. 23 states passed extreme abortion bans and restrictions, including total bans in Arkansas, Arizona, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. Six-week bans were passed in Texas, Idaho, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. Bans on the use of telemedicine for abortion pills were passed in Arizona, Oklahoma, Indiana, Montana, and Texas. And four additional states passed other restrictions on medication abortion. Like, whoa, slow down, guys. That's fucking terrible news. But I will jump in here with a little bit of a silver lining, which is that you can still get abortion pills if you live in the aforementioned states or if you live in other countries. Basically, just go to aidaccess.org. They will provide you with European doctors who can give you a telehealth conference and give you a prescription for the medicines Mifepristone and Misoprostol. You will be informed about a trustworthy pharmacy in India who will ship the medicine to you by mail. And just uh, a heads up, it's going to take about three to four weeks because of the new COVID wave. It's going to cost 95 euros or 110 US dollars. But if you cannot afford this amount, they will try to find a solution. So that's... Angels. Freaking angels. That's aidaccess.org. That is right. They're doing the Lord's work over at aidaccess.org. So grateful for them. And now we have a few other stories from Americans who have relied on the availability of abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, which oftentimes gets a really bad rap in the media and the way that it is portrayed is very negative. But people make this decision for a host of reasons. And in this case, we're going to hear the story of Marissa Pizzi, and she made this decision after she found out late in her pregnancy that there were fetal abnormalities. And this monologue is voiced by Gabrielle Horton. She's an amazing journalist and podcaster and producer. And oh my goodness, I just feel like she performed this really powerfully. In 2010, I made the choice to end my second pregnancy at 22 weeks, three days. This choice for me was, it was many things, you know. It was a healthcare choice, a parenting choice, a moral duty to prevent suffering, a reflection of maternal health statistics for Black women like me. And unfortunately, it was also a political choice, something I neither asked for nor consented to, yet here I am talking to you about my reproductive health care. My second pregnancy while hard, it was pretty typical, you know. We went to the 20-week ultrasound appointment with so much hope, just feeling so much potential for our growing family. But when the doctors first presented us with the devastating news that our child had serious health complications that were incompatible with life, she said, I just remember feeling the world crumble around me as we were already parenting a toddler I knew that I was committed to making choices for my children that centered their very best interests to grow and develop into confident, kind, and free adults. My child's health complications meant that that just simply would never happen. And in fact, we understood that being born would have created suffering for all of us. My unborn child, the attending medical staff, my toddler, my husband, 
and me. My heart really breaks after that story. Um, the next story is Beth Viles, who, due to underlying health conditions, did not find out she was pregnant until well after 15 weeks. I'm 23, and I have polycystic ovary syndrome and irritable bowel syndrome. I have absent and irregular, if present at all, periods, nausea and vomiting, weight fluctuations from the PCOS, as well as cramping and more from the IBS-CD, all of which are symptoms of an early pregnancy. I'd recently heard about a friend of a friend who didn't know she was pregnant and went into premature labor. The idea of being pregnant for that long and not knowing scared me, and taking a pregnancy test is pretty standard anytime I go to the doctor to address PCOS-related issues, so I took a pregnancy test just in case. But the test came back negative, and a doctor told me I was infertile due to my PCOS. When the symptoms persisted, though, I sought further care. It was then that I found out I was pregnant. And then that I started experiencing challenges to accessing an abortion. Unsure of what to do after I learned I was pregnant, an aide at my doctor's office told me to go to a clinic, which turned out to be an anti-abortion crisis pregnancy center for a free ultrasound I thought I needed. They handed me six ultrasound images and said I was 16 weeks pregnant. I explained I wanted an abortion, but they said it was dangerous. I now know it's a very safe procedure. I realized they were never gonna help me, so I left. The next day I went to a hospital near my home to get a real ultrasound. That's when I couldn't believe what they told me. I was actually 26 weeks pregnant. When I finally saw a doctor who could provide me with an abortion, she said she had to get approval from the hospital board because of hospital policy, which was denied. I cried. I didn't know what I would do. I didn't want to continue with the pregnancy because I was too sick, not ready, and I simply couldn't afford it. Eventually, my doctor referred me to a clinic in New Mexico, but that meant I had to fly across the country just to get an abortion. And it would be expensive. Because I was later in my pregnancy, the abortion would cost $10,500, another $1,500 for blood work and ultrasounds, and about $1,000 just to fly there. My insurance would only cover $200. Two weeks later, I flew to New Mexico and stayed with a family friend for six days. It was a long process, but I was able to get the abortion I needed. I know I'm lucky. I live in a state with no restrictions on when in a pregnancy an abortion is allowed and Medicaid coverage of abortion care. Yet it can still be inaccessible if we're misled or just can't afford it. And this is especially true for young people. More abortion monologues from Private Parts Unknown after this break. Hey, just because you're grown up doesn't mean you've outgrown bedtime stories. Whether you want a story to turn you on or wind you down for better sleep, Dipsy helps you get in touch with yourself for some extra sweet dreams. Mmm, I love that ghost dick. <laughs> Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. Find stories about an off-limits hookup with your professor, meow, or a costume party that takes things to the next level, or maybe a story where your partner tells you exactly what to do or you try a new toy together. Yes, 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 yes. All that sounds amazing. And they release new stories every week, so there's always more to explore. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, there is something for everyone. Yeah, and it's really nice to keep finding new favorites. Plus, 
Ditsy also has wellness sessions that help you learn more about yourself and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash private. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash private. That's dipsystories.com slash private. In this next part, we're going to focus on Americans who have relied on abortion availability to define their places in society. Oh my God, there was a quote from a court case in this brief that really struck me. And I just want to read it for you guys. And it's that a woman's quote, suffering is too intimate and personal for the state to insist without more upon its own vision of the woman's role, however dominant that vision has been in the course of our history and culture, unquote. Yeah, and the quote was followed by The destiny of the woman must be shaped to a large extent on her own conception of her spiritual imperatives and her place in society. Oh, my God. Someone nodding to a woman not having to to be defined in the way that society is predetermined. It just also just strikes me as such a basic thing to have to say out loud. Like, and a woman gets to decide on her own what her place will be in society. Totally. I mean, still radical. Still radical. That's the crazy thing about it is like, we're still doing this whole episode to defend this thing that should be obvious. <laughs> so. Yes. And it's not only about women being able to define their place in society. It's also about being able to define their own families. And actually, up next, we're going to hear from a guy. And this also warms my heart because we did a series. We did Men Have Abortions too, a three-part series. We heard from five guys a couple years ago, and it was really powerful to hear their abortion stories. And it's important to remember that, again, it's not just a women's issue. It's not just an issue of people who get pregnant. It is a human issue and a human right. This next story is the story of Jarvis Miller, who is a man who agreed with his partner's decision that terminating her pregnancy was the right decision, including to plan for a future family. And this monologue is delivered by Miles Gray, who is my other podcasting partner on my podcast for 20 Day Fiance. I was a senior in college in Texas. I had no money and she couldn't afford to be pregnant for nine months. I know a lot of people say, oh, we'll just have the baby and give it up. But that's still a long commitment, and she just didn't want to. She just didn't want to have a baby and give it away. So we agreed that she should have an abortion. I could have stopped going to school and gotten a job because there was no way that I could try and work 40 hours and do school. I could have dropped out, but then that would be limiting whatever I could do afterward. My brother and I, we grew up really poor. We grew up in not great neighborhoods, and my biggest thing was... I'm going to make sure that my kids have a drastically different life. This next monologue is performed by comedian Megan Gailey. It's the story of Deborah Hauser, who terminated her pregnancy so that she could be the mother she wanted to be to the son she already had. In 1995, at age 35, I found myself alone, pregnant, and caring for my six-month-old son. My husband had gone to work one day and did not return. Weeks passed without word. 
For more than a month, I didn't tell anyone that he was gone. Not my family, not my coworkers, not my friends. I simply went to work each day, attended to my job, and pretended everything was fine at home. Each evening, I left work, picked up my son from daycare, and did my best to care for him without distraction. Six weeks passed when I realized I was pregnant. Alone, with little money and a baby to care for, it was clear to me that I could not care for another child. I did not know where my husband was. I did not know what happened to my marriage. I wasn't sure I could make ends meet. How could I add another child to such an untenable situation? I chose to have an abortion then and there. It was the best choice given my circumstances. Much later, my husband returned. The following week, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but refused to stay on his medication. We were eventually divorced, and a few years later, he committed suicide. To this day, I am certain that choosing an abortion was the most responsible, moral, and loving action that I could have taken for me and for my son. Whoa, uh, Deborah had a lot on her plate. You could definitely see how in that scenario, adding another person might not be the best situation. Yeah, and that's already a lot of grief and trauma that this person has gone through. And you can't decide on their behalf that they should go through more. Yeah. And we're continuing with the story of Brittany Mosteller, who decided another child was not the right decision for her family. And this monologue is performed by podcaster, producer, and friend Anna Hosnier. When I was 22, I was a mom of three daughters and holding down a part-time job at a grocery store. And I realized I was pregnant again. I couldn't afford another child then, physically, emotionally, or financially. The decision to have an abortion was the easy part, but I couldn't afford it. When I gave birth to my three daughters, Medicaid covered every aspect of my pregnancy and the delivery of my daughters. So I assumed it would cover my abortion, but because of the Hyde Amendment, it didn't. I had to figure out how to pay $900 for the abortion out of pocket. That was more money than I made in a month. It took me several weeks to save up, which meant that while I tried to get my abortion during the first trimester, I was pushed to later my pregnancy before I could finally afford the procedure. This was a really challenging and disheartening experience. Another very big and important reason why Americans have relied on the availability of abortion is to escape abusive relationships. It is so hard to extricate yourself from an abusive relationship. I know from experience and trying to get yourself out with a baby is even harder. So that's another reason that abortion access is super important to this demographic. You are going to hear exactly how important in this story of Tohan O oh, as voiced by writer Hannah Michaels. In 2018, I was faced with a life-changing decision. I was in a relationship that threatened my life and my future. My fiancé at the time was abusive and threatening, and I realized that I just could not be married to him. I canceled our wedding three weeks before the date, and during all of this, I realized that I was pregnant. I felt it in my bones that I could not continue the pregnancy. I needed to be able to permanently leave my abuser, and I also knew I couldn't do it while pregnant. Having an abortion was the only way to keep my relentless abuser away from me and my son. I felt so scared and alone, but I took the leap of confiding in my father, a minister who helped me get the resources and called the authorities to protect me from my abuser. 
He supported my decision, and we kept it a secret from the rest of the family. Wow. If there's anything worse than trying to escape from an, an abusive relationship, it is being afraid that you're going to bring a child into the world that would also be subjected to the same abuse. Yes, definitely. We're now going to hear a monologue voiced by actor, host, and comedian Vanessa Guerrero. And this is the story of Angie Marie Luna, who was able to pursue her education and escape an abusive relationship because of the availability of abortion. I had an abortion because I wasn't ready to become a mother yet. I was in an abusive relationship and I wasn't okay mentally. I knew I didn't want to become a mother yet and my partner actually confessed to me that he got me pregnant because he didn't want me to go to school because he thought I was going to cheat on him. Because I was able to have an abortion, I was able to continue my undergraduate career and I'm the first in my whole Mexican family to have gone to college and the first to have a master's. And I'm pursuing my dream to go to medical school each day. I know I made the right decision and I don't regret it. This section really spoke to me because I actually wound up getting a civil ex parte against the person that I wound up later having their abortion. And I mean, that was such a huge part of it for me because I was like, what am I subjecting myself to for the next 18 plus years, potentially the rest of my life? And what am I subjecting a child to? And like, what kind of father would that person have? It is such a crucial element of parenting that weighs heavily on you when you are trying to make this decision. At least it did on me. And I cannot overstate that. And anyone who is in that situation and makes a decision to get an abortion, I think is just simply trying to make the best decision for themselves and their unborn child. Yeah. And I just have to say that I'm really proud of you and... I'm really glad that you made the right decision for you. Thank you. And this next section really spoke to me because it is about abortion as it relates to immigrants. Some Americans have relied on the promise of abortion availability when due to the person's immigration status, any child the immigrant chose to bear might become forcibly separated from the parent, which is many parents' nightmare. Heartbreaking, I can't imagine. Yeah. This is the story of Alejandra Pablos, and it is delivered by comedian Ana Valenzuela. I have been fighting deportation for nine years now. I was born in Mexico, and I have lived in the United States all of my life with my mom, brother, and family. I was a permanent resident until Immigration Customs Enforcement, commonly known as ICE, targeted and arrested me at a meeting with a probation officer, interrupting the justice process. I wasn't even able to finish probation when ICE locked me up in jail for two years. When I became pregnant the most recent time, I knew my immigration status would devastate the family I would create. When I first found out, I was conflicted. For a minute or two, I smiled at the idea of becoming a mother. Then I quickly had a reality check and knew I couldn't start a family here, right now. The same people who would force me to continue my pregnancy are the same people who would rip my baby from my arms and deport me because of my immigration status. 
I can't ignore the irony of lawmakers whose only mission is to control our bodies and refuse to support us in accessing childcare and livable wages for our families. I didn't want my family to be separated like that. It would have been too much to handle. I've already experienced this separation. I spent two years in a detention center separated from my family in 2011 and 43 days in one last spring. The same systems denying undocumented people basic full-spectrum health care are the same who are placing barriers on all of us who would choose an abortion. Another thing that applies to a lot of immigrants and just Americans at large is that people have long relied on the availability of abortion to avoid going on public assistance. And I don't think that there's anything shameful about going on public assistance. But, you know, economics is a super important factor when you're deciding whether or not you want to have a child. Yeah, my mom and I used to be on welfare and food stamps. There's absolutely no shame in it. But that is definitely not a place of security. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely not something that people go into thinking this is going to be really fun and chill and it's going to be really great trying to make do with the minimum forever. So, yeah, it's not a judgment of public assistance, but rather having to depend on it when it'll be almost impossible to survive on it. Exactly. And the thing is, if you're trying to be a working adult, sometimes your benefits are reduced based on how many hours. And it's just a big complicated system that is not necessarily easy to navigate. Up next, we're going to hear Linda Stoker's story as an example of this. This monologue is voiced by my dear friend, actor, bartender, sweetheart, Danielle Doyen. I was six weeks pregnant when I had the abortion. It was the most difficult decision I've ever had to make. Raising my daughter on my own with sporadic child support was difficult at times. The only way I could have a baby is if I quit my good job and went on public assistance. In my mind, that was not an option. There would have been no way I could pay for full-time daycare for two children. My focus was on my daughter, to give her the best life possible. And having another child would mean that I would not be able to feed, clothe, house, and adequately provide for all the needs of two children. I agonized trying to make the decision to have or not have an abortion. It was not done lightly, as many anti-abortion people suggest. There's no question, no doubt in my mind that abortion was the best thing for me to do at that time. We'll be right back with more from Private Parts Unknown. It is a time of new beginnings. It's a fresh slate. And it's probably time we bring that attitude into the bedroom. Right, Sophia? Seriously. And that is why I'm so excited to just have gotten and tried the Like a Kitten's Couple Box. Because it truly has everything you need to make this Valentine's Day unforgettable. Oh my God, I love the Like a Kitten Couples box. It's a one-stop shop for all your sexy Valentine's Day essentials. Don't waste hours researching lube, erotic games, lingerie, and everything else to set the mood. Just grab a couples box and you will be set up for one hell of a spectacular night. And the box is so cute and has such great things. One of my favorite things that I got was the delectable chocolate CBD body paint. Oh yeah which I normally don't mix sweet and sex, but that one seemed perfect. And it melts when it hits your skin. You had me a body paint, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) 
And not to mention what else goes great with chocolate, strawberry lube. What a perfect combo. Don't do chocolate dipped strawberries. You want this. Plus, if you've been looking to enhance your sex with some vibration, the couple's box comes with a 10-speed heart vibe and an amazing dual arousal cock ring. And the heart vibe is so pretty. The color and the smoothness, it fits in your hand, and it is a powerful little heart, I'll tell you that. So if you guys are stuck in the same old routines, which, listen, your girl Cox is right there with you, You can break those habits with fun sex scratch tickets and a card game that will inspire you to play in ways you have never tried before. It even comes with your choice of a satin robe or baby doll lingerie, so you will look and feel your finest. Like a Kitten's mission is to help women own their power in all areas of life. A portion of all sales go to charities that focus on women's empowerment, education, and health, so you can feel good about feeling good. So take Cupid's arrow into your own hands and surprise your partner with the couple's box. You won't regret it. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering our listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash private or enter code private at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash private or use promo code private to get 20% off. Likeakitten.com slash private. So for this next set of stories, we are going to be talking about Americans who have relied on abortion availability to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation. I wanted to bring up another quote from the amicus brief that was pretty powerful. The ability of women to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation has been facilitated by their ability to control their reproductive lives. Hell yeah. I've got a lighter in the air. (laughs) (laughs) I just burned my bra and I'm still wearing it. (laughs) Yes, that is a very true observation, remains true today. And women in particular have relied on the right to abortion to achieve greater economic and social equality. And this includes access to education. This next monologue is voiced by writer and comedian Sarah Benincasa, and it is the story of Holly Bland, whose decision enabled her to complete college. I had an abortion in 2014 when I was 19 years old. I had just graduated high school and was working two minimum wage jobs, trying to pay for my second semester of college out of pocket. I remember standing in my bathroom with my back against the door and dramatically sliding down until I plopped on the floor. Instantly, the test read positive. I immediately burst into tears and frantically took to the internet. I needed an abortion, and I needed it now. I'm bipolar, I have polycystic ovaries, and mostly I just wasn't ready to be a parent. My decision to have an abortion wasn't a difficult one. It was a necessary one, and it was a beautiful one. For the first time in my life, I was able to make a decision for myself, my life, and my future— one that has allowed me to graduate college and put me on a path to recovery from a decade of disordered eating. Another person who was able to further their education thanks to the availability of abortion is Zoraima Pelez, and she was able to become a first-generation college graduate and a current law student thanks to her abortion. This monologue is voiced by comedian Stacey Inez. As the child of Mexican and Colombian immigrants, Growing up in poverty, I never expected to go to college. 
After graduating from high school, I, like others in my family, began a career in cosmetology. While cosmetology was never my passion, the opportunity to grow my business over the years gave me the courage and financial stability to finally prioritize and pursue my education. But not long after enrolling in community college, I learned that I was pregnant. Immediately, I thought of my sisters who had become young mothers and the barriers they faced in parenting their children in safe and sustainable environments. I thought of my future. Would I be able to continue my education and become the first in my family to graduate from college? I considered my options and decided to have an abortion. In the most fundamental sense, the opportunity to exercise my constitutional right to abortion made me who I am today. Not only was I able to transfer from community college to the University of Texas at Austin, but I also graduated with honors and now I'm a successful third-year law student at the University of Texas School of Law. As a law student and future attorney, I am dedicated to using my legal education to advocate for everyone's right to access abortion so that people can plan and provide for the families they want, despite age or income and do so in an environment that centers their aspirations and fosters their personal success. I love that she's going to use her education as an attorney to essentially make sure that everyone has the same access to abortion that she had. And it's just a beautiful circle. Yeah, I love that so much. And another really big reason that people decide to terminate their pregnancy is in the case of unintended teenage pregnancy. And one such story is that of Nicole Perez, and it is voiced by comedian and writer Carrie Assad. I was 17 at the time, and my birthday was a month away when I found out that I was pregnant. My boyfriend was delivering pizza in his first year of college. I was about to graduate high school and start college. We knew having a child wasn't possible, but that doesn't mean it was easy. Being that we did not want our parents to know, we could not use our insurance and had to pay for the abortion on our own. When we first started calling, we kept hearing $700, $1,100, which was not in our price range. We needed to get it as soon as possible. I was showing. After a few days, we came across a place for $350. It was the lowest we could find. I'm so grateful that abortion is legal in New York City because if it was not, I could not be following my dreams. I know it will be the right time when I'm done with college, and I know that I had to do it because I was not ready. Another story that has to do with teenage pregnancy is the story of Stephanie Gomez, who relied on abortion as a high school senior. This monologue is performed by actor and comedian and bestie Christine Little. In 2012, I became pregnant after having sex for the first time. I was 18 and a senior in high school. Instead of planning my prom night, I made plans to get an abortion at a Planned Parenthood in Houston. I needed a ride, so I was at the mercy of the person who impregnated me. He was abusive. I was on his schedule, and if it did not line up perfectly, it wasn't going to happen. And I said that I was not going to be pregnant. I didn't want to be pregnant. So I made it work with the help of an abortion fund. Abortion funds are so important. 
you know, a lot of times if you're making this decision, you do not have a lot of money. And that is a key factor in why you are choosing abortion. So if you are down for the cause and you have some extra money to donate, this is a really good time to do it. I 100% agree because when your society fails you, your community hopefully doesn't. Exactly. And now we're going to hear the story of Veronica Granado, whose decision to have an abortion late in high school enabled her to attend college and become an electrical engineer. This monologue is performed by Teresa Lee, who is a comedian, podcaster, and filmmaker. My abortion story was one of the best, most adult decisions I've ever made. I'd just been accepted into college and was ready to move cities when I found out I was pregnant. I knew that I had to instantly make a smart decision for myself because I was nowhere near ready to have a child. I barely knew how to take care of myself emotionally and financially. I had to get the judicial bypass and was constantly worried that I wouldn't get it and my future was destined to be a struggle. I ended up getting the bypass and continued my education into electrical engineering, a job that I knew would be the best for my future family and myself. We'll be right back with more from Private Parts Unknown. If you make pleasure a priority in your life, your sexual health should also be top of mind. Knowing your STD status protects you and your partners. And now you can discreetly test at home with EverlyWell. That's right. EverlyWell offers affordable at-home lab tests that give you trusted physician-reviewed results. And you can choose from a bunch of tests, including food sensitivity, metabolism, sleep and stress, thyroid, and so much more. But the one we're especially excited for, obviously, since we care about sex, is the SCD test. And the SCD test discreetly allows you to test for seven types of SCDs, all from the privacy of your own home. Dude, in my single days, I would have been so, so psyched about the STD test. I actually got the food sensitivity test, but I love this. So here's how it works. Everly Well ships your test straight to your door with everything you need for a super simple sample collection. Then you return the test to a CLIA certified lab with their prepaid shipping label. Then your physician reviewed results and insights are sent to your device in just a few days. I just did it. I just got a food sensitivity test and I am awaiting the results and I can't wait for them to come in. It's no wonder over 1 million people have trusted Everly Well with their at-home lab testing. And of course, privates, you know we're here to hook you up. For listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash private. That's everlywell.com slash private for 20% off your at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash private. So we have one more section for you all. And this section deals with abortion access as it pertains to women's ability to participate fully in their careers. This next monologue is the story of Shelby Vaughn, who terminated her pregnancy so that she could remain in the military, which is a group of people that we do not frequently talk about when it comes to the issue of abortion. The monologue is performed by podcaster and former service person, Allison Gill. I was barely 18 and toward the end of completing a military training cycle at Fort Sam Houston, Texas, when I found out I was pregnant. 
Being in the military and in the midst of training, I didn't know how to approach anyone about obtaining an abortion or to get any answers of how it would affect my progress in completing the cycle. When I informed my drill sergeant I was pregnant and wanted an abortion, he ignored my request and said things like, I needed to take responsibility for my actions and accept I'd be a mother soon. I was mortified, and for so many reasons. First, I was experiencing an unplanned pregnancy and was emotionally distraught about my future. Second, I was being brushed aside by male authority figures who were determined that I should have a child. Third, I was part of an organization that was denying me my constitutional rights to access an abortion and had a right to because when I enlisted, I became property of the U.S. Army. And as their property, it was decided abortion was not an option for me. Once again, I was mortified, along with feelings of loneliness, anxiety, and fear. I appealed to my liaison who, without any surprise, supported my commander's decision, and he basically told me I had no choice but to concede and accept the consequences of my actions. When I returned to training after having had an abortion, I faced an indifferent drill sergeant and commander who used their time and influence to make my life more difficult than it should have been until the training cycle ended. I was also faced with the loss of respect and negative judgments from my fellow soldiers, male and female, with some turning their backs on me completely. I know what it's like to have your choice and your constitutional rights violated by the very institution that is sworn to defend and uphold the United States Constitution. For a moment in time, I knew what it felt like to be under the thumb of a man and an institution who had the power to dictate my reproductive decisions. And the emotional distress, loneliness, feelings of devastation and breathlessness, accompanied with having no choice, along with the judgment passed against me for choosing abortion. At that moment in time, being forced against my will to carry a pregnancy to term, I knew what it felt like to have no control over my future, with my goals and dreams having been shattered by the will of men who vehemently exercised their power to control my reproductive choices. Oh my God. I want no more men to have any more say over my reproductive choices. You're done. You guys are out of here. Out of this ute. Is there such a thing as a permanent timeout? <laughs> yeah, you guys are... <laughs> you're, you're done. Banned. You're banned from this ute. Get out of here. You had a long run. <laughs> of you controlling my body. You saying what you thought I should wear. Saying I was asking for it. Saying whatever the fuck. And Are you writing a country song? I'm putting you on mute. <laughs> <laughs> my ute is putting you on mute. <laughs> Give me a Grammy right now. <laughs> it's not that hard to win one. So it's, <laughs> you're going to get one probably. <laughs> Okay, next up, we are going to hear from Tamara Marzouk, who terminated her pregnancy so that she could start her first job and afford a family when she was financially and emotionally ready for one. This monologue is voiced by ethnically ambiguous co-host and podcaster Shireen Yunus. Right when I finished grad school, I found out I was pregnant. I was in that in-between time where I was still covered by my university insurance right before starting a brand new job. Even before I took a pregnancy test, I knew that I would have an abortion if I were pregnant. I was just about to start my first full-time job since graduating with two master's degrees. My partner was working at a restaurant. We knew that we did not want to parent yet, and we were not in a financial or emotional position to do so. I was 6.5 weeks pregnant when I had my abortion procedure. A few weeks after my procedure, I noticed that I was still bleeding. 
After seven weeks of wearing pads every day and dreading taking off my underwear to see spots of blood, I started to grow worried. I contacted a new doctor and went in for a visit. They found a collection of cells in my uterus. They gave me the choice between waiting longer to see what might happen or having a second abortion procedure to remove what was left. I opted for a second procedure. I am glad I did, because they called me the next day and told me that the first procedure had been unsuccessful. The collection of cells was pregnancy tissue that the first procedure had missed. For all of the people that say that abortion complications are a reason to rob people of the right to have abortions, I had abortion complications, and I never once have regretted my decision to have an abortion. And finally, give me a drum roll. <laughs> dun 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 dun. <laughs> And finally, for our final abortion monologue, no, this is serious. This is the story of Renee Bracey Sherman, and she is an advocate for abortion rights because she was just happy she was able to get an abortion. And this is voiced by podcaster and writer and comedian Jamie Loftus. Like most weekends, I was with my boyfriend at his best friend's house, lounging on the couch while they played video games. In between texting my friends, I napped. A lot. So much that his best friend looked at me and said, dude, she's pregnant. I laughed it off because it was ridiculous. I was on birth control. I couldn't be pregnant. But was I? I hadn't picked up a new pill pack because payday was still a few days off. Friends had told me that I'd be fine because when you're on the pill for a long time, it's harder to get pregnant. Turns out that's definitely not true. And I wasn't ready to parent. And to be honest, I simply didn't want to be pregnant. I'd been in the bathroom crying for 20 minutes when I came out. I called my boyfriend into the living room and we talked. I said I wanted an abortion. And after a bit of discussion, he agreed. Since my abortion, I was able to refocus myself in work, graduate college, receive a master's degree from Cornell University, and build a career advocating for people across the nation. Every day, I'm thankful for the ability to make the best decision of my life, my abortion. Whoa, we made it through 26 abortion monologues. That's a lot of different scenarios that people want to get abortions. And not even half of the ones that are totally around for every abortion that has been necessary in the history of abortions. Dude, literally millions of different circumstances. Yes. We are very grateful that we have 26 friends that were willing to lend their voices to bring these 26 real stories to life. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to everyone who participated. And these are all such dope actors, comedians, filmmakers, whatever. They're all doing really cool stuff. So definitely check them out. And you should check out their links in the notes and follow them on everything. So hearing 26 different stories, which as Sophia said, it's only a small set of examples I think really goes to show all of the different nuanced situations that people are in when they go to make that decision. And like none of the people in these stories sound like they took it super lightly, but all of them agree that it was the best decision for them. And I think when we make it this like 
political or moral judgment of like bad or good person, irresponsible person, responsible person. And it's this weird binary thing where you're not understanding that people are coming from these like very real nuanced, hard situations. Then you're, you know, not understanding like how these laws play out practically in people's lives. Exactly. And, you know, it feels like our country is really divided over abortion. But to throw some statistics at you, one in four women of reproductive age in the U.S. will have one. And among women over 45, the number is approximately one in three. And actually, you know, there's this like idea that women that get abortions aren't mothers. And the majority of people who get abortions are mothers. There was a really interesting set of New York Times statistics about like who gets abortions and it's not necessarily who you think. (laughs) So keep that in mind. And uh, just as a little tiny thing to think about, there are seven corporations who each funneled over 100 grand in donations to the extreme right anti-choice politicians who either sponsored or co-sponsored the Texas draconian abortion ban. And those are Courtney Tullum. AT&T, canceled. Charter Communication, canceled. Berkshire Hathaway, did not have an account with you, but you're still fucking canceled. Exelon, canceled. United Healthcare Group, canceled. Union Pacific, canceled. Chevron, you were already canceled, but you're canceled again. So that's the fuck you list. Don't do business with people who are promoting this like extreme anti-choice agenda. It's fucked up. It's super fucked up. All of these corporations funneled over 100K in donations to the Texas abortion ban. Like think about that when you have them on auto pay, like maybe get them off. Amen. There's definitely a lot of other people that'll take your money. And if you wanted to listen to some more episodes we've done on reproductive justice, including the three-part series we mentioned earlier called Men Have Abortions Too, and that playlist is in the episode description. And we have a favor to ask of you, privates. We would like you to share this episode with two people. One person who would be happy to know that this content is out in the world, that it would make them feel seen or heartened or needs to know the information. And then one person who might feel challenged by it or maybe has an opposing view. Or maybe just doesn't know enough. Yeah, maybe they're ignorant. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, witches laugh about ignorance. (laughs) I was like, why'd you cackle? People are trying to learn out here. (laughs) No, I support it. I totally support it. Tell your laugh. (laughs) I'll talk to her after the show. (laughs) You're being a bitch. Okay. 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 (laughs) We know. We know. Okay. Privates, we also have some resources for you. We are going to put some of them in the description. Also, you can follow us on social media. We're going to try to put up a bunch of content this week. Where can you follow us, Sophia? You can find us on Twitter at privatepartsun and privatepartsunknown on Instagram because they don't restrict character limits. And you can find me at the Sophia on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Courtney Kosak, K-O-C-A-K. 
everywhere. And you can subscribe to our newsletter, privatepartsunknown.substack.com. It's a really great newsletter. And we're doing a whole special issue dedicated to the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. So definitely go to, just go to the episode description, click on everything. Hey, Sophia, what's that bomb-ass music? This music is by our friend Amy Rosh. You can find her on Spotify. Her last name spelled R-A-A-S-C-H. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. You? you are the man, Michael! Yeah! All right, well, we're tired, you know? We're really tired. <laughs> okay, but wait, 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 wait. We're not done. We have one more thing, because now it's time for... The review of the week. This is from Brian M. 47. Wonderful new discovery for me, he says. I discovered this engaging and amusing podcast, Private Parts Unknown, thanks to the episode with guest Caitlin Bailey. Love her. As I am an avid fan of her podcast, The Oldest Profession, I am now thoroughly enjoying having this podcast added to my must-listen list. That's a tongue twister. But privates, we need you to rate and review us. Do you have any idea how hard it is to put together an episode with 26 voices? 28, counting us. I don't think they do. And honestly, maybe they can tell by... <laughs> We're tired. tired we sound. We're really tired. So go to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Give your girls some stars and some nice words. Tell them you really love these abortion monologues. You're so thankful. You're delirious. You need to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sleep it off. And we will check you next time. Bye.